Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, I speak with Don Bauman Brunke, animal communicator and author of several books, including Dreaming with Polar Bears and Awakening the Ancient Power of Snake. Don discusses dreams, dreaming, dreaming with animals, and shape-shifting in the dreamscape. She also talks about living with snakes and discovering their personalities, learning from animal teachers, being open to expanded states of awareness and consciousness, and the common message that animals have for humanity, our collective need to wake up. Don Bauman Brunke is an author, animal communicator, and dream enthusiast who lives in Alaska. She has led workshops in animal communication and offered animal consultations for over 20 years. She also designed a tarot deck and offers tarot readings. Her many books include Animal Voices, Animal Voices, Animal Guides, Shapeshifting with Our Animal Companions, Animal Teachings, The Animal Wisdom Tarot, The Key to Spirit Animals, Dreaming with Polar Bears, and Awakening the Ancient Power of Snake and an upcoming book about shadow animals. Don, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Hey, thanks for having me. And well, just listening to it, I'm like, wow, I have a lot of books about animals, huh? You do, <laughs> but that's amazing. Uh, and I, and I, love, I love the approach uh, that you take. Uh, you know, I wanted to say that, you know, the snake book kind of jumped out at me. And that was what led me to contact you. And I've since read Dreaming with Polar Bears. And I, I love your writing style. I love the approach that you take with these. And I, I want to read your other books now as well. Uh, and I know several people uh, who would be very interested in your work if they aren't already familiar with it. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah of course. Thank you. Um, so I thought that we would begin with dreams. Uh, yes. Both the books that I read begin with dreams. Uh, you describe yourself as a dream enthusiast. Uh, can, can you speak a bit about your interest in dreaming and perhaps your dream practice? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I am a dream enthusiast. Um, uh, in fact, a number of my books, not just those two, start, started with dreams or inspired by dreams. And I think I've always had just a really rich dream life. I mean, even as a young child, I remember dreams from kindergarten and even before then, I've always just been so fascinated. And I remember asking my mom, you know, why don't we talk about dreams? Like I couldn't believe that people weren't more interested in these amazing stories that go on during the night, right? And, and you know, as I grew up, I, I, I really um, came to honor my dreams and, and was so uh, grateful for some of the insights um, that dreams provided and, um, and the inspiration, like, you know, later with, with writing my book. So, so yeah, I've always been interested in dreams. I've experienced a lot of different types of dreams, lucid dreams, um, you know, dreams that kind of go in and out. Um, and and I, I also include uh, waking dreams as part of my dream life, because I think sometimes in life we have these experiences that are very dreamlike, um, you know, and, and when we start to use uh, uh, the dream uh, framework or protocol to start to learn what these things are, um, they, they speak to us in the same way. They can offer the same insights and, and, um, and inspiration and, and answers, uh, meaningful answers that we're looking for. 
So, so that's kind of the, the background of, of, of dreams for me. And, um, and I've always kept a dream journal. I've just, to me, that's fascinating. So you asked about, you know, how, how my dreaming life works. One of the things I do is always write down my dreams in the morning. Um, I just feel like that's so important. It's, you know, it's a way of bringing this story into the waking world, right? We're, we're making it physical by writing it down. And, I found dream journals to be really invaluable because you have a record then. Um, and actually in that, in that uh, Dreaming with Polar Bear books, I talk about how I went through my dream journals because I was looking at bears and I found a series of dreams from numerous years back that had gone on for seven or eight years and they were all connected. And when I looked at him in that way, I saw an evolution of consciousness. And I thought, isn't that fascinating, right? So I think a dream journal is really a helpful thing for all of us to, to keep and to consult and, um, you know, to help us. It, I think it also helps us um, establish a better relationship with our dream self, if you will. You know, it, it, it says, I'm paying attention and, and I'm finding this valuable. So Right. There well, you go. A, yeah. Uh, well, it's a pleasure to speak with a fellow dreamer. Um, I, I agree with you that dreams are so crucially important. And, you know, we spend, what, a third of our lives asleep and a good chunk of that dreaming. So right. why not right. pay attention to it? Why not? Uh, you know, I wanted to ask you this uh, because uh, we have a, a little bit of a similar background in a way. Um, I noticed that you studied comparative religion in college, mm -hmm. and I was wondering if choosing that major was influenced by your experience and interest with dreams. Wow, that's a really good question. No one's ever asked that before. Huh? My gut feeling is yes, at some level, because I remember um, going to college, I was going to be a psych major. I thought that was fascinating, right? And then when I took my first psychology class, I'm like, not my fave, right? So I did a student design major. And what I actually did is I put together comparative religions and symbolic anthropology. In other words, not archaeology, but how, how different cultures use symbols specifically to talk about religion or the divine. So that was my, um, yeah, that was my fascination. And maybe that is dream related at some level because, you know, religions and, and rituals, they're all, they're all types of stories or mythologies. They're all types of stories. They're all types of dreams we tell ourselves you know, individually and collectively in order to better understand the world and our relationship with spirit, right? So, yeah, yeah, wow. What a great insight you had. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, of course. I, it, was, it was one of the things that I think influenced me uh, to get into uh, religious studies. I was very influenced by uh, Carl Jung, reading uh -huh. Jung, and yeah. that led to the symbolism and, uh, and mythologies and everything. But uh, it, was, it was dreams for me. Uh, yeah. So when I saw that and then having read your book, I thought, I wonder if there's the same thing going on here. Yeah. And I mean, you think about a dream language and symbology and Jung and I mean, all of these things, they, a mythology, they all come together. They all have this common denominator. Um, yeah. Yeah. I really like that insight. Yeah. You said that you keep a dream journal. How long have you been keeping a dream journal? Because I know that in dreaming for polar bears, you do go back uh, quite a ways yeah. looking at uh, former dreams. Yeah. I think since I was about 10, Wow. And you still have yeah. all of those. 
I do. I have wow. a huge stack of dream <laughs> journals. Yeah. On my shelf behind me, actually. And I try to, along the way, record dreams that I remembered when I was real young, because I can mm. remember dreams from about two years old or so. Wow. Um, just a few, you know, mm. but they were significant. So I wanted to pull them in and yeah. And that was one that uh, in the polar bear book, um, maybe we'll start with this. I was going to start with the snake book, but since we're talking about dreams uh, and both of them begin with dreams, mm-hmm. but in the polar bear book that starts with a dream and you go back to, I think it's the earliest dream that you remember about the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Or one of the earliest dreams that you remember. Yeah. About laying, going down into a basement, my parents leaving me at, at this house. Well, we, we go, my, go with my parents, the short version of the dream. We go, I go with my parents to this house, uh, some neighbors, and um, they want to do, you know, have their drinks or whatever. And, and so the lady says, oh, our dog is down in the basement. You can go with her. So I go down in this basement and there's this huge white dog there and it has several puppies. And I lay down with the dog and, and the puppies and I'm just, you know, so happy. And when my parents come to get me, I say, I want to stay with the dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Right. My mother swears this did not happen. (laughs) What kind of a mother would let her daughter go down in a basement with some dogs? No, John, that did not happen. (laughs) So, but it was a, a significant dream for me. I think it speaks to my love of animals and of connecting with animals and of sharing that dream state because that's what we did in the in that dream is I went down to the basement and kind of slept with these dogs and and we shared a sense of you know community, right? Mm-hmm. That type of communion. So so yeah. I think that it's fascinating. I love how you bring in the dream state in terms of communicating with other animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's such a huge part of the uh, dreaming with polar bears mm-hmm. uh, that in one dream, you become lucid in the dream. And then you recognize that, and you're just walking with a polar bear. Yeah. And you realize that the bear is also dreaming, but also lucid in the dream. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really special dream for me. And you're right. That's what I call those sea dreams. I had these Mm -hmm. dreams early and it was just this walking in the high Arctic uh, beside a polar bear. And oftentimes in the dream, I would know that I kind of, this had happened before, but then I would forget. And so again, it was this series of dreams. And at one point, uh, and it was very much about movement, which is interesting because I talked to a, a woman who talks about movement and how that was so um, significant, even as a child. Do you remember the dream I had about walking in my, uh, opening up the mm-hmm. closet and there's a bear inside and we walk around my room. So walking with the bears, which is something polar bears do, they're very much about that movement. Um, but in this particular dream you're talking about, yeah, so I turn my head and I see the polar bear and it's almost as if I'm inside the polar bear's head looking at me. And I realized the polar bear is in my head looking at me and there's this realization that we're both lucid, that we're both real or, you know, have physical bodies and we're seeing each other in this joint dream. And that's a little bit about what um, dreaming with polar bears is about. It's about the joining of dreams in some cases and, um, and connecting in that way, connecting with uh, uh, different aspects of consciousness and, Mm. and what that brings us. So, yeah, it's some out there stuff, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but it, it's good. And uh, I was going to ask you this question, uh, since you just brought up consciousness, and this is a little bit of a, 
I suppose, a philosophical question. You are working, I think, with a different model of consciousness than what most people you know, uh, think about, where you know, it's not just humans that are conscious, and it's not just humans that are intelligent either. Yeah. Uh, you, you work with a kind of an expanded consciousness. So I, I, I wanted to ask you, how do you understand consciousness? And I know that's a big loaded question. <laughs> that is a big loaded question. And I'm really always hesitant to kind of put it in a box, you know, yeah. because then we're, we're already not really dealing with what we're dealing with. So um, I, I guess, you know, one of the ways I think about consciousness is as a spectrum. Mm. And, you know, I think everyday ordinary consciousness, what most people would agree on, you know, it's very sad and it, it doesn't really take into account that other animals have thoughts or ideas. I mean, maybe we pay it lip service a little, but what that was one of the things when I first opened up to animal communication and realized, wow, you, I can connect with the thoughts of another animal. I mean, how wild is that? And it did take me a little while to kind of ground that in my body because it was just so different than what I had thought reality was. But I think you're right. I think what it is, is it's an expansion. So it's how wide on the spectrum, you know, uh, can you be or and it's not even a spectrum, it's more like a interdimensional, five dimensional, (laughs) right, you know, but, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's another way I explain it very simply is what radio channel are you dialed dialed to, you know, because we can focus in on one thing you and I right now. And then, you know, my dog starts barking about the moose outside, and it's something completely else. So we, you know, we're constantly kind of modulating. Our, our energy, our frequency to focus in. And sometimes we can get very expansive, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've all had situations like that where we just are utterly amazed by something, you know, the ocean, sunset, whatever it is, it's just, it opens us. And we realize, oh, I'm this too, right? Yeah. 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 And, and I think that this is where your work is really important. And I'm curious about the communicating with animals, because again, you know, humans, we have this tendency to think that we're the only ones, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. you know, we have pets and we can, I think often it's that we're talking to the pet, mm-hmm. uh, not really listening to what the pet has to say. We're not talking and, with it, right? yeah. yeah. One of my favorite things I've got cats. I always have cats oh, wow. and, um, I love when, you know, they're getting pet, for example. And if I stop, they just kind of reach out and tap me. And that is them communicating very right. clearly. Right. I'm not done yet. Yeah, <laughs> not exactly. Done yet. Um, so I, I wanted to ask about this communicating with other animals and what you might call it. It, it seems that it is grounded in maybe like a kind of empathy. Would you consider it a more of a kind of a telepathic or uh, how would you describe it? Yeah. Again, I've sort of been doing this so long that I don't even think about it that way. I just kind of, what I do is open. Mm -hmm. So I'm connecting, like, let's say if, you know, if I'm doing a talk with a a woman and a cat or a person and their cat, you know, I'm focused on the cat. I'm focused on the woman. I'm bringing all of our energies together to help solve the situation. So that's a very practical aspect of communicating with animals at other times. Like when you're outside or when I'm with my dog, it's, I think it's what I would call it is deepening into communion, you know, the communion within communication. So it's this deepening into sharing energies, sharing 
thoughts, feelings, ideas. You know, I think we can have in very intense communications with animals without words. It's just, you know, and, and yet sometimes we can have words. I mean, in the polar bear book, sometimes I would wake up from a dream and these kind of spirit bears would just download information and help me type it out, which I was so grateful for because, you know, it happens really quickly. You have a chapter done and you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but it really is like that sometimes. Sometimes we're animals, um, you know, it, whether they're in body or not, can be sharing big downloads of information. And if we're open to that, to receive that, then, you know, we can um, get it down on paper or on the computer and share it with others. So there's, a, I guess my answer is there's so many different ways of this. Um, um, and it's, it's as open as we are creative, right? You know, it's, and I think everybody gets in a different way. Sometimes I do animal communication classes and I, I'm a writer, so I tend to get things with words, right? But not everybody does. Some people get it with feelings. Some people will just, or they'll get this big gestalt of things. I had one woman, she got songs. That's how she would get her communication. She would hear the singing. She would hear lines from songs or different things. So it's just, that's her unique, um, you know, format in her brain of how she interprets this information. So it's all open to us. Again, how open are you willing to be? Yeah, there's a lot I want to ask about. Um, but with that, I, I think I want to go into the snake book a little bit because mm -hmm. what you just said, brings up a lot to me. And I wanted to share with you, um, I'll try to keep this as brief as I can, uh, my experience uh, that uh, led me to purchase um, Awakening the Ancient Power of Snake the second I saw it. Oh. Uh, I No, literally I did. Uh, I am one of those people that never liked snakes. I, I hated snakes. Mm -hmm. uh, I like other animals, but I always thought, you know what, if you kill a snake, that's fine. Kill them all. I don't care. Uh, and, but I had never really had that much experience with snakes. Uh, you know, very vague memory of a babysitter, a friend's babysitter mowing one once, uh, running mm -hmm. over one with the lawnmower. Uh, I just didn't like them. And when I lived in Colorado, I know that there were rattlesnakes, but I never encountered one. And after I moved to Pasadena here in California, I decided I wanted to get a sense of place. I wanted to get to know the area that I live in. So I started hiking every week and I started at a different trail than the one I hike at now. And the very first time I went, uh, you can go two way, you, you park. And then if you go down, uh, you can go to a uh, waterfall or you can kind of go up the mountain. And so the first time I was going down to the waterfall and I'm about halfway there and this couple uh, approaches me and they're like, oh, be careful. There's a rattlesnake up ahead. And I completely froze. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what was going through my head, but I, I guess I was imagining that the snake was just lying in wait to bite me. <laughs> and I even considered just going back up to the car and leaving. But I didn't. I went and the snake was gone. But on that trail, uh, eventually I learned it was just riddled with rattlesnakes. Mm -hmm. And I always stopped and I froze and uh, it was, it was a problem. It was a problem. Uh, it was like taking away the joy for me. Mm -hmm. I was complaining about this uh, during a break in class and a student told me, oh, we'll just go to this other trail, which is actually the other end of the trail I'd been hiking on. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so I thought, and they said, there's no snakes. So I went and there weren't any snakes and I was happy. So I just started hiking this trail, uh, but there were snakes in Southern California. There were snakes mm-hmm. uh, there's, you know, I saw, uh, I've seen King snakes, garter snakes and rattlesnakes. Mm-hmm. And I, and I got <clears throat> to learn the ways of rattlesnakes a little bit. And I remember one day I was almost done. I was uh, the last part of the trail was all pavement. And there was a snake on the other side. It was far enough away that I just didn't care. You know, I just kind of kept going. But then I heard this commotion behind me and there was this guy on his bicycle and he had gotten off the bike and he was chasing the rattlesnake into the, uh, the brush with the front wheel of his bike. And I remember thinking at that time, I'm like, just leave it alone. Yeah. It's not bothering you. Yeah. And that woke something up in me because it was the very first time I felt empathy mm. for a snake, <laughs> for a yeah. rattlesnake. Yeah. And last summer, every <clears throat> time I went to the trail, I encountered rattlesnakes every single time. This year though, I haven't seen them at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe once or twice, little baby ones. And I found myself missing them. Uh-huh. And I started thinking, what's going on here? Uh-huh. You know, I've had this total change of perspective and I started yeah. thinking about snake. I started thinking about the symbolism of snake uh-huh. Uh-huh. and I was in a bookstore and I saw your book <laughs> and I'm like, I have to buy this book. <laughs> so I, I, I apologize taking away all this time from you. No, uh, but I, I love I felt, that story. Yeah. I felt compelled I to share it with you. Yeah. Um, and isn't that like a dream story in a way, Yeah, you know, it comes to us and it's showing us something and it's, yeah. and you know, um, well, I'm, I'm just curious, what were your feelings then when you did see the snakes in the latter part of the story, you know, were you still afraid of them or? Um, I wasn't so much afraid of them. I mean, there's always caution, you know, I mean, they're rattlesnakes. <laughs> you need to be yeah, cautious. Uh, what I've, discovered is that they're always sort of on the side. Uh, I would come across them often. They would be crossing the trail. And I learned that, you know, originally years ago, I would, I never tried to harm them. I I would throw like small rocks near them to try to get them to move and it would Mm -hmm. never work. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is that, you know, what they're all saying eyes, that if I just step back, uh, even like just three or four steps, they would then, it seemed, understand that I meant them no harm mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. I was giving them the space to go across the trail. Yeah. And so that's what I learned. And I started, I've also learned that they're shy. Mm. That they well, don't, some are, some really are. Yeah. Some yeah, are very shy. They're shy and they're <clears throat> considerate, <clears throat> I think. Oh, shy that's and considerate. Nice. Well, and there's so many different types of snakes. Let's just take that into account. And, you know, yeah. rattlesnakes are one. And, but it also reminds me of a dream that I did have in that snake book that I share. Um, because I do think snakes, um, when we open to that, when we open to like, what can I learn from this animal? They are testing us in some ways too. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not warm and friendly with every snake we're right to be cautious you know there's like 600 there's what 3500 species of snakes about 600 are venomous so you want to be careful and I do remember this one dream I had where um, I go to kind of a little cabin in the woods and this woman has all these snakes right in little compartments and she gives me one it's a big 
like boa type snake, a great big one, right? And she says, oh, you can go sit over there. So I go sit on this lounge and the snake is kind of going around my body, right? And then it comes to my neck and I go, no. <laughs> and then the snake went on, right? And when I woke up, I felt this kind of exhilaration, like that was a test, you know, because we have to stand in our own, um, you know, uh, personal power, right? And to, uh, to be clear about our boundaries, you know? Yeah, no, you don't necessarily want to go sit down next to a rattlesnake and pet it. No, you know, I don't want a big bow around my neck. No. <laughs> so, um, but I think what that speaks to is um, on deeper levels is respect, respect of self and respect of the animal. And I think snake is one of those animal teachers that um, requires respect, not only of itself, but of its student or it's, it's the person it's talking to the partner, right. When we're learning, I think that's so important. So, um, yeah, there's a right way to do that. And then there's, you know, um, bullying it with a tire of a bicycle wheel. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and I would say respect is probably the main lesson I learned, uh, to yeah. respect, to respect the snake. Yeah. Yeah. And um, ourselves, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's yeah, a, for sure. It's both. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, the the snake book uh, began with what you refer to as a big dream, and it was a yeah. healing dream uh, yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering if you could maybe say a few words about that. And I also want to ask you about some of the symbolism of snake. And I know that there's sure. a lot to it. There is a um, lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole book's worth. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, so the dream that I had, and I'm just going to tell the short version of it because it really was kind of a, a big dream, not only in that it was an expansive dream, but a big dream, meaning that it was a, a, a very significant dream. I, um, I had this back issue. It was a winter solstice, which is kind mm. of interesting. And I had this back issue. My back was really, it was going into spasm. I was in the bedroom, kind of in the dark. My daughter and husband were in the other room. And, um, and I was just really exhausted from these spasms that were coming. It's really, I don't remember my back pain, but it's, man, that's bad stuff. So at one point I just said, um, what do I need to know? You know? And immediately I got this visual of this huge snake. It was so big that it really filled my whole frame of, you know, visual reference, this very archetypal, angular, ancient, powerful snake. And I knew at some level, I know this is important, pay attention. At another level, I'm thinking this could be dangerous. But the words that I'm thinking when, when I see this is, um, how can I help you? Which afterwards I thought, well, that was really interesting. <laughs> how can I help you? And the snake tells me it has lost its tail. And that morphs kind of into this dream. At this point when this was happening, I was just more in pain. I wasn't in a dream, right? But when the snake tells me it's lost its tail, I kind of go into this little dream where I'm in a cottage again in the woods with this older woman and we both have snakes on our laps. We're on chairs and we're sewing the snake back together. The snake has literally lost its tail and we're sewing the snake back together. And, um, and then I kind of come out of that dream and now... Uh, again, I'm kind of in waking consciousness and the snake is this little silvery um, kind of gray blue snake that's that's sitting in my lap. And I'm instantly thinking of Kundalini, you know, the sleeping serpent, this energy, this Eastern, you know, they talk about in the East of this energy that comes up and awakens your, your chakras, your spine up to the crown chakra. 
And I say to the snake, is that what you are? Um, and the snake basically is sharing this, this uh, movie almost, you know, kind of a panorama of everything that snake is. Snake is a creator deity. It's showing me really old, almost like old pictures of being with gods and goddesses and healing and being a guardian, you know, and, 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 then, and then kind of also showing me the more modern version of snake as a, um, you know, on uh, ambulances, a snake associated with healing and snake, but snake also denigrated snake as, you know, we call somebody a snake and it's a derogatory comment. So anyway, it was all this stuff, a different uh, stuff about snakes. And when I woke up in the morning, I really did feel uh, totally transformed. I didn't have the pain anymore. Oh, yay. But more, more than that, I knew that I was very excited because I knew that this was a huge dream. Um, it had activated something. And so I wrote the dream down right away. And one of the things I asked myself was, why did that snake tell you it had lost its tail? Like that was kind of alluded to in the beginning of the dream, the, snake, the tail was separated from it. And when I was writing that down, I'm, I'm aware that sometimes dreams speak to us in little codes, symbols, metaphors, double entendres. So I'm thinking maybe it meant snake has lost its tail, T-A-L-E, its story, the larger story of who it really was. And that made sense to me because the snake was showing me its story throughout the ages, its story with humanity throughout the ages. And so that really kind of was what, um, you know, inspired me to write a book about snakes, really, you know, literal, metaphorical, as a healer, as a um, an agent of transformation um, as an animal that was originally worshipped and honored as an advisor, you know, and, and venerated to, to one that's become kind of shunned and feared and, um, you know, uh, despised in some ways by, by some people. So it's so again, it was a big dream because it's talking about the big story of snake and, and how snake connects with humans. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems to me that evolutionarily speaking, I always have a hard time with some of these words, um, that we've been with snakes for a long time. Snakes yeah. have been part of the evolutionarily evolutionary process. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think snakes, they show up in some of our earliest myths, because that's one of the things that I first did was I went to my big Joseph Campbell book, kind of world myths, right? And I'm looking up snakes and snake appears really early on, you know, in Africa, there's this immense snake that creates the world, the stars and the worlds with its 7,000 coils, you know, and in Mesoamerica, it kind of oversees, um, you know, the creation of nature and humans. And in India, we have this wonderful 10,000 headed snake called the Nanta that, um, you know, it kind of, it unfurls its body and time and the creation begins. So we do have these really ancient stories about snakes and as snakes being creator deities really. Um, and as, as oftentimes even birthing humans, you know, bringing the humans into being, so. Yeah. very potent huh? yeah and you know i cover snakes a little bit in some of my religious studies courses uh i always try to incorporate uh sometimes i refer to it as the great goddess tradition yeah and you know there there are snakes you know there's a snakes associated with the divine feminine right 
Right. I think that's really important to note, too, is that not only is snake associated with some of these, um, you know, Hindu gods, but with the goddess, with Shakti, with um, a lot of, and you see this also in, um, you know, in later, even in Greek mythology, that snake is associated with, with the goddess. And, and we see it in the Garden of Eden story, you know, where snake is associated with the goddess Eve, or, you know, that aspect of the feminine. Um, and, and, and that whole story shows us how then um, a lot of the myths that originally um, venerated snake are shifted into snake being a monster, something that must be killed, that must be, you know, that's a demon, that's a tempter, that's a deceiver, et cetera, et cetera. So we actually see that historical shift if you look at mythology and history and, and kind of weave, weave that all together. Yeah, it's real interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I, I find it quite fascinating. And I do too. Um, I, do I, too. I don't remember <clears throat> if you mentioned this in the snake book, uh, but you know, because of the story of the Garden of Eden, I think snakes in the Western world do get a short shrift, <laughs> uh, and that's where the connection with you know evil and whatnot comes in. But there are there's a uh, Gnostic text. Uh, that tells the story of Eden from the perspective of the snake. Oh, are, are you familiar I, with that? No, but I got to read it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, oh, I forget I, the title. I'll, I'll, I'll email it to you. Yeah. Um, and see that. Add it to the uh, uh, end comments uh, on the discussion, but uh, it is connected to the idea of snake and knowledge. And, you know, the Gnostics were about knowledge and waking mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. and that's what the serpent was doing. And the mm -hmm. Gnostics, according to this tale, they saw the serpent as the first incarnation of the Christ spirit uh, oh, to point out to, you know, wake up, wake, wake up. up. Yeah. Because that's what the snake is doing in the story is it's saying, you're not going to die. God tells you know Adam and Eve, you're going to die if you eat this fruit. And the snake's like, you're not going to die. You're going to awaken. Mm -hmm. Okay. Who's telling the truth here? Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally fascinating. Very, yeah. very fascinating. So you also write in the book that you ended up living with two snakes for a while. Yes. Carl yeah. and Chloe. Carl and uh, Chloe. Yeah. Uh, what did you learn about snakes by living with them? Um, wow. So much, you know, so much. Number one, they have such different personalities. Carl was like kind of a grumpy old man snake. He really wanted to be left alone. You know, I originally chose Carl because I thought he was more my speed. He was just kind of, you know, I thought, okay, I can, I can deal with that. Chloe, she was, uh, that she was a corn snake, beautiful orange colored. She was, you know, like the sixties wild child. She just wanted to see everything. She had fast food when she was very friendly, incredibly friendly, and just was curious about everything. So I definitely saw just in those two snakes, they have, I mean, they're different species, yes, but I think even people will tell you with ball pythons, there's a lot of different personality. So there is this individual, you know, spirited personality in each snake. Um, snakes, I, I learned about time because snakes definitely experience a different time than we do. You know, they eat both of those snakes eat once a week. Some snakes actually eat once a year. You know, so they have this different time. They would go into this when they were ready to shed. You know, they would get very, um, their colors would get very pale. Sometimes their eyes would uh, uh, 
pale over and they wouldn't want to be touched. They wouldn't want to do anything. And then they would release that. And then all of a sudden they'd be new and they'd be, you know, this new shiny skin and it would just be a different thing. So I just, I learned so many different little things about that. I will say the, you know, the shadow area for me was about um, feeding them mice. I did have a really hard time with that. Um, and so um, there is a chapter, I think, in the book about that, about, um, you know, what that means and how as snake guardians, how do we do that? Or as, if you live with snakes. Um, so, yeah, I'm not completely 100% settled with that yet, but, um, you know, that's okay. That's right. We all have our little areas that we're still working with. But um, so they taught me about that. They taught me to question some, ask some hard questions of myself deep down and to really look at things that maybe bothered me a little bit and ask, why is that? And kind of to face my fears. You know, I think that's one of the things that snakes do is they say, Let's go to that part that's a little dark or a little shady. Why do you feel uncomfortable? What is that about? I mean, they weren't saying that to me directly, but by by my experiences, you know, that's where I was led to look at that. So, yeah. yeah. I And I was wondering about this fear aspect because it seems to be unconscious for most people. Mm. Um, I don't think mm. that the majority of people have had a real negative experience with a snake. And you provided some statistics in the book where more people are killed by dogs. Um, yeah. Than, than Who snakes, knew? Right? right. That's in the um, U.S. Let's just clarify. Yeah, okay. That's in the U.S. Yeah. Because like yeah. in places like India, where you have a lot of snakes that are wild, it's, it's different numbers. But in the U.S., yeah, I think there's like five people killed a year by snakes. And I think it's is it 20 or 25 by dogs. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't think of that, right? Right. Well, yeah. I was I was wondering where the fear may be coming from. Uh, you mentioned there's a shadow aspect, and mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to get your take, and then I'll run something by you. Okay. So there's a couple theories. Some people say, you know, that it has to do with our ancestors, and we were um, we have this kind of ancestral energy of being a fearful of snakes because you know venomous snakes. You you should run, and maybe that's true to some extent. My my take on it is maybe more spiritual aspect, which is that snake guards a very potent energy. We talked before about Kundalini. It's the energy of awakening. And I think snake as an animal teacher uh, forces us to look at our fears, to stand in that spot. And, you know, on the one hand, that's why snakes are so fearful. And when you see the raised head and the, you know, the cobra, that's the, the scary snake, because it's saying, can you face your fear? Because if you can't, then you shouldn't go into Kundalini. There's some energies we shouldn't go into because they are dangerous for us. But if you can face that fear, if you can face snake and face your own fears, then snake becomes a guardian. Then snake becomes an activator and a guide and a mentor. And then we do, we can open that Kundalini. So I think there's this two, this aspect of snake, which is both, you know, like preventing us and being very scary and yet being a guide and a mentor. And it's really about us. Where are we in relation to that? You know, so I think I think the fear of snake is at some level of very deep fear of our own power, wow. of our own ability to awaken 
because that is probably a dangerous thing. And we, historically, we've gone through that where that has been shut down and the powers that be don't want you to awaken. They don't want you to question the, the mainstream narrative, you know, kind of going through that today. So there's a lot of censorship. And whenever there's a lot of censorship, there is something that is wanting us not to look at our own power and not to awaken. So I think that's exactly why snake is so powerful. And I think, and one of the things I say in the book often is like, you know, snake comes in times of transformation. So it's really challenging us. Um, are you ready to do it this time? Are you ready to wake up? And that I think is very close to what I was thinking about because I was thinking that there's something, you know, with archetypes, there's always something sort of numinous about them. Mm-hmm. And there's always a bit of fear involved in the encounter with the numinous. Um, And so I was thinking that maybe that may be one of the places that the fear arises from. Yeah, Uh, I agree with you. There's something archetypal and there's something so deep inside of us that's connected to snake that we, um, well, again, I think it goes with that whole, the fear of awakening, fear of mm -hmm. knowing who we really are. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, on the one hand, it can be fearful, but on the other hand, it can be so exciting to wake up to that are we ready it's always a question with snake that i feel are you ready Mm. you know Mm. well and um now i'm gonna jump back to the polar bears because um the uh, you know the polar bear council uh you had mentioned that you started dreaming about this uh, group of uh polar bears and they say something similar to you i think uh there is and i'll quote here from the book uh and this is the polar bear council uh, speaking to you uh that from our perspective humans are at the top of the endangered species list and they describe us as a species lost in sleepwalking illusion um that the snake brought me to that yeah Uh, and uh, not dreaming as we know it but a sickness that leads to a loss of balance and spirit Yeah. Oh, just touches my heart, huh? I feel like that's where we are. That's where we have been in the last couple of years. There's this, you know, there's a lot of um, sleeping sickness occurring. Mm -hmm. And again, snake speaks to that. I'm, I'm, thank you for reminding that about polar bears, you know, I think, and polar bears are in some ways similar to snake in that they're a big animal. They have a big animal energy and they request us to step into our power and to stop pretending, to stop sleeping, to really wake up to things um, and be who we need to be on the planet, you know? Yeah. And a lot of different animals have told me that, that, um, that you know, that, that humans are the ones who are in danger. We worried about the whales and all this, but you know what? Here's the bear, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. 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 And all of that speaks to me very much because I, I personally see the many ecological crises that we are facing right now in spiritual terms, mm-hmm. that it speaks to a kind of spiritual sickness on the yeah. part or sp- spiritual disease, you know, dis-ease on, yeah. on our part. Yeah. So did the bears have any other guidance for how humans can wake from this sleepwalking illusion? You know, how can we heal our spirit? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think almost paradoxically in one way is they're telling us to dream, 
<laughs> and to pay attention to our dreams and to start bringing up the wisdom from our dreams. You know, so many people I still meet today, you know, they're like, oh, I just had this crazy dream and they kind of want to throw it away. And I'm, I'm always kind of being a little taskmaster saying, hey, <laughs> maybe it has something to tell you, right? Let's look at it, right? You have to talk kind of funny with them, but to bring that up because, um, you know, Nick, I think it's doing the work. Are you willing to do the work? Are you willing to sit with and look at, you know, what's uncomfortable in yourself? Are you willing to look at your fears? Are you willing to look at, you know, why do I get angry about this? Why do I get sad about this? And really kind of sit with our emotions and move through them so that we can be clearer. Because, you know, our society, well, maybe globally, but here in the West, especially, you know, we, we're like masters to diversion, right? <laughs> master's a diversion you know it's it's the government's fault it's this it's that you know we're like master projectors everything is everybody else's fault and we fail to sit with ourselves and take responsibility for who we are and what we're doing and we you know i mean it wouldn't it be awesome if you had classes in grade school even in high school on how to sit with your emotions and how to kind of you know learn more about who we are rather than reciting road facts, you know, I mean, we got Google, right? We can look it up. <laughs> right. To sit yeah. with your emotions and to really look at what makes us, again, what makes us uncomfortable? What, you know, how can we move through that? How can we listen to people who have different opinions and not, you know, start ranting on Facebook, right? I mean, it's, we're, we're just, you know, don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, along those lines, I think I agree with all of that. And um, I, I'm not, I, I know our time is limited. Um, so I'm not going to start ranting about our current <laughs> education system, um, although I could. Um, but it also seems that not just to sit with ourselves and to pay attention to our dreams, but to sit in the places that we live and to pay attention to the other animals that we share space with. Yes, that's beautiful. Yes, of course. Yeah, I so agree with that. Yeah, and we can learn so much from that, you know, mm -hmm. because when you do that, and when you get down to that deeper sense of communion, right? I mean, yeah. it just helps all of that anger and diversion and stuff go fall away and you realize, oh, what was I ranting about? You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mentioned, you know, I hike every Friday and I always tell people that's my spiritual practice. Um, I, I just have to go. And it's been an interesting experience. I've been doing it for about 12 years now mm. um, and learning the animals that I do share this space with. Mm -hmm. And I noticed a pretty profound shift in think, I mean, not just with snakes, but uh, you know, it's like August for me became, well, this is the time that the deer come to town mm -hmm. uh, because that's when I would start seeing them. And July is, you know, when the honeybees gather. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I started seeing everything in connection with other life forms. Yeah. Uh, I haven't yeah. tried to communicate with them so much yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that's great. You know, and, and then we open up even further, we connect with the land and the, uh, the trees and the plants and mm -hmm. all of that, you know, is, um, all of that is connected. Yeah. And, but when you're, don't you think when you're operating from that place, when you're hiking or when you're dreaming or when you're communing, you know, you're just at this um, much larger uh, expansiveness or space of, of who you really are. And we do feel that I feel the connection, you know, yeah. with everyone yeah, and everything. Absolutely. And it's, it's, you know, I think, man, again, 
that would be a great class for kids, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, there are a few who are doing things like this, but there are. They, are, they, there are. they are few and far between though, unfortunately. So uh, you had mentioned uh, in our conversation, I think, and it's also in the book, uh, The uh, Dreaming with Polar Bears, that it's not just snake, it's not just polar bears, but animals all over the world are working with groups of humans, yeah. uh, kind of creating this, uh, I think you refer to it as a bridge of consciousness. Yeah. And, oh, that's a nice phrase. I like that. Yeah. Uh, that that's your phrase. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, so I was just wondering, have you heard uh, from other people who've had similar experiences as you did with the polar bears? Yeah. So? I mean, there's yeah, there's definitely people. In fact, I just got an email today of a group of people who are working with whales. Uh-huh. You know, so that's their focus, and they're um, you know bringing up different teachings and. Um, I'm sure there are, I can't give you really specifics right now. I'd have to look at it, but I, I know there is groups of people working with different animals, sometimes groups of animals. Sometimes they're, you know, like a little bit more, we might call them spirit animals. So, you know, working in collective ways to bring more and more of this energetic um, to our uh, collective awakening, especially for humans. You know, yeah. it's not really the animals that need to be woken up. It's the human animals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So there, would you say that that's a sort of consistency in the message that we need to wake up? I would, I would, you know, I remember way back when, when I wrote my first book, Animal Voices, and I remember a group of animals saying, oh, we, you know, we call you the surface people and they weren't making fun. They were just saying, and and I'm thinking at first, oh, that's because we walk on the surface of the planet. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's because you walk on the surface of your consciousness. It's because you have a very thin spectrum. They're not saying this then, but this is my interpretation. You, you know, you have a very thin spectrum of, of what you're awake to. And, you know, yeah, there's yeah. so much more depth. There's so much more uh, 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 expansiveness. We can do it any direction you want to do, but it's um, yeah. So definitely the answer to your question. I think there are a lot of animal groups that are, that are bridging with humans to bring this awareness more up. Um, and, um, and we can each also do it ourselves, right? You can tap into that anytime. That's the beauty of this, isn't it? It's free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can do it anytime. You don't need right. a secret pill or a, a this or a that. You can just do it anytime you want. All you do is you get, go sit outside, connect to the earth, feel your connection and open up. Mm-hmm. And you can talk with whoever or whatever you want. Mountains, clouds. You know, yeah. the moose, the dog, the rocks, the plants. There's an element to your work that is, I would interpret as sort of deeply shamanic. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, speaking with the animals, you, you talk about shape-shifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, you do this in the polar bear book. You describe, mm-hmm. you put on, I think, a sort of a polar bear suit and then become the polar bear. Yeah. In a dream, uh, in a dream. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in a yeah, dream yeah. for sure. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. And that's important to point out that the shape shifting kind of happens in, in those contexts. Yeah. Um, it made me think, I don't know if you're familiar. Uh, there was a philosopher, Thomas Nagel, who wrote a very influential article. I think it was probably back in the seventies or so called, what is it like to be a bat? Oh, and he essentially what he was arguing is that, well, he was arguing against that we could ever know what bat consciousness is or what human consciousness is simply by looking at brains. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, especially Amen. because yeah. bats perceive the world in such a radically different way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think at the same time, he would also suggest that we can never know bat consciousness because it's so mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. than our consciousness. And I remember thinking uh, several years ago that, you know, I bet a shaman would have something else to say about that. Mm-hmm. And then when I was reading your work, I thought, I bet Don would have something to say about all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Can we ever really know exactly what it's like to be a bat without being a bat? I don't know. But can we share consciousness enough to get a sense of what it's like? I would say yes. I would say yes. I remember having a really odd little experience. Um, I was out walking um, in the mountains with my family and we, for some reason, we were all taking different trails kind of, or, you know, we're in the same general area, but we were just exploring. There was a lake nearby and I looked up and there was an eagle and I thought, oh, I wonder what, how, what, what would it be like to be an eagle? I mean, it was just such a fleeting thought. And all of a sudden my consciousness was up in the eagle looking down. And I was so surprised because it was a different way of seeing the world. I mean, I was seeing it through different eyes. It wasn't like I was really just seeing it from above. I was seeing it um, telescopically. You know, it was, it was just a different quality of seeing of seeing it. And, you know, that, that excited me so much. I went right back into my body. But <laughs> that was a clue to me of, oh, there are ways of sharing consciousness with different animals and understanding the world through their perspective. And that's one thing in the, in the polar bear book, I'm um, there's a part where the polar bear, one of the polar bears wants to know what's it like to be a human mm. and wants to kind of come into my world and see it from that perspective. So, which is also really interesting, isn't it? So we become a human ambassador and we kind of share our world with polar bears or with, and I think there'd be other animals who'd be interested in that too. I mean, I've been asked by, a couple different animals. Um, well, how do you see the world? How do you see that? You know, and and so and it's and it's just such odd things that um, that make you startle. Like I, for example, I remember talking with some birds, and <laughs> this is just so odd. But I was about uh, there's a big bush outside my window here, and um, the bird came there, and uh, I was just connecting with it, and I I was aware that I had to get ready to go to a restaurant with my husband, and and so. I'm kind of thinking that in my background, right? And the bird is like, wait, you let other people give you seed? You know, <laughs> you know, the bird was just horrified that we would, you know, get our food from somebody else. That was just like, a, a just, just the oddest thing in the world. Like, oh my gosh, those humans, they're just so bizarre, right? But it really kind of, I mean, that's not something I would have imagined, right? So I'm saying we have these experiences that kind of kick us up into another level of perception and realizing we're not the only ones on the planet. Our way of seeing the world is not the only world. And what can we learn if we're willing to consider that and, and, you know, start learning in different ways. Yeah. It's very exciting. Yeah. And powerful. I think very powerful. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, I think that's one way that helps us to expand. The more we mm-hmm. do that, the more we kind of share consciousness with others. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, to me, it's it's shape shifting is is kind of in the sense of not necessarily becoming that animal physically, but shifting the shape of our consciousness. Right. So we're shifting the shape of how we see the world and how we experience life. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that we humans need to do is we need to reclaim not just the different perspectives of consciousness, but also imagination. Yeah, no kidding. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, like little kids, right? They just do it naturally sure. and they'll tell you these amazing stories and yeah. And you can go there with them. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I know that uh, we are pretty much out of time. Uh, but I did have um, uh, one question to ask you one more. Is there a species that you would like to communicate with, but you haven't had the opportunity to do so yet? Oh, that's really interesting. I don't, I don't know that I have, because if I would think of that, what species would I like to communicate with? Um, then I would, you know, I'm the type of person I'm like, oh, well, what would be that? Like, okay, I'm going to do it, right? I'm going to try to do it. You know, I mean, I mean, these days, here's an interesting one. What's it like to communicate with a virus? Mm. You know, there's a whole stories that unfold. And, and what would be, what would our world be like if we were willing to entertain that possibility and not be in such fear about things, but look at it from different perspectives, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, and then if you really want to get wild out there, you could, you know, what's it like to communicate with, you know, uh, other world entities or other dimensional selves. And, yeah. you know, so again, how imaginative and open and creative can you be? And there yeah. you go. Yeah. I have someone on the uh, following podcast who is addressing that. Did their do- doctoral work on uh, entity encounters, I suppose. Oh, uh, wow. Uh, not, non-physical start... consciousnesses. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to listen to your your your, yes, <laughs> your stuff that sounds really cool yeah yeah for sure yeah well, i'm trying i'm trying yeah. um Good for you. so um my understanding is that the best way for listeners to find out about you and your work is through your website uh, yes. www.animalvoices.net that's right correct Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, I will put a link to that in the show notes and also okay. on uh, the video description in YouTube. And I'll put links to your books as well. Okay. Well, um, at least, yeah. at least snake and polar bear. Yeah. 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 And you can go to my website and see my books and there's a lot of, there's chapters you can look at and excerpts and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. 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 Thanks. Well, I, I highly recommend the books. They're, they're very, uh, very well written and thought provoking and fun to read too. Thanks. You know, I always think about that as a writer, like, what do I want to read? You know, I'm just, I want to read something a little fun, a little interesting, right? Yeah. Well, they were (laughs) certainly interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They were certainly interesting. (laughs) Well, thank you. Okay. Well, Don, thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you and getting to know you a little bit. Oh, same here. Totally. Very much. Thanks. All All right. Thank you. And that's a wrap on episode 14 of Rebel Spirit Radio. In our discussion, I mentioned a Gnostic text that tells the story of Eden from the perspective of the serpent. The title of that text is The Hypostasis of the Archons. The entire text is not from the perspective of the serpent, but the serpent was performing a very vital function in the story telling Adam and Eve to wake up because they were being imprisoned by the Demiurge and his Archons. It's always those damn Archons in the Demiurge, isn't it? The ancient Gnostics are one of my favorite obsessions, so you can count on them reappearing in the uh, podcast in the near future, and I hope I'll be able to devote entire episodes to them. That said, thank you for listening or watching if you're part of my YouTube audience. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews really do help. And please consider subscribing. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. For the time being, I'll be releasing episodes every other week with the goal of releasing them every week in the near future. I'm also working on creating additional video content for the YouTube channel, including book reviews, educational videos on topics concerning spirituality, the history of religion, and the religious response to the climate crisis. If you would like to support my work in creating free and credible material on YouTube, please consider making a one-time donation via PayPal. You can find a link for that in the video description or show notes. Your support makes this podcast possible. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nourish your rebel spirit.